On this edition of the Iowa Business Report. Then it will be ongoing learning, which is the only way I think we can be fully ready for whatever next crisis we might we might have. We say we want leaders in our organizations, but we don't do a very good job of developing them. A U.S. Senator from Iowa doesn't believe a COVID stimulus bill will pass before Election Day. And we'll tell you about a company that is as focused on its community as it is on its distribution outlets. This is the Iowa Business Report for the third weekend of October 2020. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry. The Iowa Association of Business and Industry has been the voice of Iowa business since 1903. Learn more online at iowaabi.org. Here is Jeff Stein. On average, someone is in a leadership role in business for eight years before they get any actual leadership training. And 50% of CEOs are replaced with someone from outside the company, a number that used to be only 8%. Statistics that may be surprising to many, but not to Jennifer Mackin. She is the author of Leaders Deserve Better, a Leadership Development Revolution. Jennifer Mackin says the way we used to do things doesn't really work very well now. I would suggest that when people start their careers, they look at a couple of different tracks and they know what those are and what's expected of them as they move through. So whether they're a specialist and an expert in their field, they don't even want to be a leader. But if they want to be a leader, there are different levels of leadership. If we can teach them that at the front end, then they're working toward getting those skills before they're even needed. So that we're working with emerging leaders, those who aren't yet leaders, but want to be, let's tell them what it is and what's required required of them before they even jump into that role, because everyone wants to do well and doing well means I get promoted. And yet they don't even know what the job is because it's often not clear. It's a matter of letting them know what's possible so that their mind is focused that way from the very start, as opposed to, as you suggested, someone climbs the ladder and then all of a sudden they're at a place without the proper skills in order to be successful. Yeah, I would guess 90% have been promoted without the necessary skills. Because as we get promoted, I believe there are transitions there that to be effective, you need different skills, but you also need to spend your time differently and you need to value different work. So if you're a leader of others, you have to really value developing the people that work with you and making sure you understand where they're headed and how to help them get there. And then as you turn to a leader of leaders, there are different skills you need to be effective, say, across departments or, you know, managing up more, translating the strategy more. So that's what I think is really key is to know what those differences are at different leadership levels and let people opt in as opposed to just getting in and then figuring out what to do. And it's not just a matter of the individual and their development. Having properly educated, trained, use whatever phrase you like, having people who have the proper foundation make the business better. Absolutely. When I think about what's at stake, I think about the ripple effects of leaders that are ill-prepared and 
their job first and foremost is to help the organization execute on strategies with the people that report to them. And so we talk about if leaders are poor, we've got bad engagement, high turnover, and that's true. But the most important effect to think about is, do we have the execution power in all of our people to realize that strategy? That's what's at risk. That's why this is a really big problem, that leaders aren't ready. I suppose to some degree, and we talk a lot about succession on this program, whether it's generationally within a family or whether it's to the next demographic cohort just through the passage of time. I suppose those who are more senior don't want to hasten their departure. And so they look at it and say, well, if I start training my successor, they're going to think that I need to be moved out. But that's a rather shallow way to look at it, isn't it? It really is, because what it does is it leaves them with no options when the time comes. They don't recognize that it takes years to prepare people. And if you only prepare one person, for example, you also have a problem of them making a different choice and then you're stuck as well. So I do think that's a challenge, especially with first generation leaders, to even think about not being in that business and not being the key person. So it really is a challenge and I understand it, but it really is about not only their role, but all the people that report to them having successors as well. Oftentimes when we talk succession, they think it's just the CEO role. I would suggest it's all key roles throughout the organization that need to have two or three people working toward that role so that the company is is safe. And when you're working toward that goal at any level, even at the most entry level, you may want to get promoted to a certain level and then later a certain level. If you are thinking about that, it may help you understand what the manager is doing and why they're doing it. So even though you're still at your basic job, if you can understand why those above you on the chart are doing what they're doing, it actually allows you to better understand your own job. That's right. And that's where open communication about expectations is really critical. And to share with someone what their path might be So they are entry level and more than not, they don't know what the next thing is or could be for them. So they leave in order to get a new opportunity because they're not sure what that is for the company they work with. So that communication about how do I help my leader in our department be successful, that's the best thing individual contributors can do to get promoted. It clears the way. It does, and it it shows them other opportunities that are out there because people will want them on their projects. We've talked about a lot of, I'll call it negative things, things that we shouldn't be doing, things we're doing wrong. All right, so let's end on an aspirational note. What should someone do if they are running a company, let's say, or they are in a certain level of management and they want to do better with regard to employee development and therefore business development? Yeah, I think it's a great, great way to end on a positive because there are a variety of organizations I've worked with doing this very well. And when I say very well, what I mean by that is that they're doing four things in particular. One, they are connecting the business strategy and the people development strategy together. So that would mean CEOs, leadership teams, HR working together to make sure that whatever development they do is tied to what they care about and where they're headed. 
Secondly, they need to have leaders lead this development every day. It's not just an event where you go and learn a bunch of things and then you apply them and we're done, but it's an ongoing learning and leaders need to be responsible and accountable for that. They also need to be able to reinforce the learning. So let's just take coaching, for example. We all have to be good coaches as leaders, every single one of us. And that is a practiced skill. And so we've got to keep developing each other in that way. So reinforcement practice is important. And lastly, I think we've got to have some face-to-face interaction with people we work with to best apply the learning that we have. So if leaders can do that, or even assess all of their leadership development, what are you doing for all the different groups you have in your business? And is it working? You know, so that they're spending the money in the right places, because a lot of them are spending a lot of money to develop their leaders, and it's not working in all cases. That is such an important point, though, because how many times have we heard of people who pay a lot of money for a consultant or a body of research, and it's not acted upon, it's not reviewed, or they bring in a consultant, there's this protocol that they follow because they paid for it, in essence, but nobody follows up to see, I mean, it's no different than having an examination after you've read a portion of a textbook. It's required (laughs) to know whether you're at the place you need to be. Yeah. I would agree. I would agree wholeheartedly. So yeah, we've got to all pull together and understand what it is that we need to do, but also have a plan that's connected to your strategy, as I mentioned, of how are we going to do this? And it's all with good intent. They go into it, getting a consultant in and and wanting the best out of that, but it's got to be a cultural dynamic, meaning that they have a culture of learning a culture where leaders are developing their people. If they have that, then it will be ongoing learning, which is the only way I think we can be fully ready for whatever next crisis we might might have. Jennifer Mackin is author of Leaders Deserve Better, a leadership development revolution. You can learn more by going to her website, jennifermackin.com. We connected via Zoom on September 29th. Still to come, the status of coronavirus stimulus. And you may have something made in Maquoketa in your home right now and don't even know it. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. The COVID-19 pandemic has altered virtually every aspect of life, particularly the global economy. The federal government is looked to for help since it can essentially print money, something state and local governments can't do. But the chance of more stimulus reaching citizens soon is not great. Here's part of my conversation with U.S. Senator Charles Grassley of Iowa from this past Monday, October 12th. He did not mince words when I asked him if he thought a bill would pass before Election Day. As of now, no. Is it because everybody's that far apart, or is everyone just so entrenched because of the political dynamics of an election year? It would be both, but more the former. We're so far apart. 
Republicans in the Senate would have a hard time going to a trillion dollars because we've already put out almost three trillion. Now, probably four or five hundred that billion of that isn't spent yet. Probably won't be spent, but it's still a lot of money to go into debt. And and uh, when the Pelosi starts out at three and a half trillion on top of the three trillion we've already appropriated, it's ridiculous. What would Senator Grassley approve? Is there a type of relief or a dollar amount or a combination of the two? If all parties said, Senator Grassley, you get to write the legislation, what would be in it? About $100 billion to help K-12 education because they got school districts have a lot of costs because of, uh, of uh, the virus and in-classroom in, uh, in teaching. I would also give some more... Uh, what we call PPP program, Paycheck Protection Program for small business, particularly things like restaurants that have been badly hurt, uh, some nonprofits that have been badly hurt. I would, I hate to say this, but I'd even give a little bit of money for state and local governments. But can you imagine at one time Pelosi wanted another $900 billion for state and local government. We already gave them $150 billion. Iowa got one and two-tenths billion, uh, and I doubt if uh, if uh, the governor's got that all spent. And so to put out another almost a trillion dollars to state and local government when we got a lot of states like New York and California and Illinois that are so fiscally bad run, uh, we shouldn't be helping them for their fiscal irresponsibility. U.S. Senator Charles Grassley spoke to me by phone this past Monday during a break in the Senate Judiciary Committee hearings regarding a Supreme Court nominee. Coming up, buying the company with great results. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry, helping develop the next generation of business leaders through Leadership Iowa, Business Horizons, and Leadership Iowa University. To learn more, go to iowaabi.org. We have talked about business succession often on this program, and often that's from one generation of a family to another. Today, a different form of succession, which led to what is today known as Jackson Manufacturing, based in Maquoketa. Jack Haskin is the owner, and we connected by Zoom earlier this week. Jackson Manufacturing was actually born from another plastic company that was called ADAC Industries. And ADAC Industries ran from really 1996 until 2012. Before that, it was called ADAC Plastics. I changed the name to Jackson Manufacturing because, first and foremost, we're in Jackson County. Uh, Maquoketa, Iowa is the county seat, Jackson County. My nickname is Jackson, so that, that helped, too, with the name. Manufacturing, that's what we do. We manufacture custom plastic injection molding components. This facility, Jeff, was an ITW facility back in the mid 80s, and it ran that way all the way until it was sold in 1996 to a nonprofit organization that was called ADAC Plastics. What happened there is they ran it, at, a nonprofit ran the business from 96 until 2012. I was hired as their director of sales in 2010 to help bring in more sales and to 
quite honestly saved the business. Ultimately, I did. Ultimately, you saved the business in a very firsthand way, didn't you? Yes, I did. I saved my job and eight others. And the interesting part was I, I had cut my teeth in the plastic injection molding business as a sales rep for about four years prior to that. I was caught in the, in the recession of 2008 and 2009 myself. I was a commissioned salesman and was doing quite well, but unfortunately got caught in that recession. I took that opportunity to go back and finish my four-year degree up at the University of Dubuque, uh, which was where I had started back in 1977 as a bright-eyed freshman. Majoring in business, minoring in marketing. So anyway, I took the opportunity to finish my degree. And then after I got my degree, I, got the, I, got, I still have it on my, on my post board. I got a, a card from the dean of University of Dubuque and it says, congratulations, you should be proud of yourself. Now do something with it. I thought, okay, <laughs> that, that's interesting. I just can't stare at that, that diploma on the wall. Uh, but anyway, so I took the job as director of sales to help ADAC Industries. Things were going along okay, but the, 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 the company, the mothership, as I'll call them, which was uh, DAC Industries, said, we're, we're going to close and we're going to liquidate. And I basically said, well, I'm interested. I would like to purchase the business. And I did. My wife was my main coach to, that said we, we should do this. And so I did and um, inherited a, a good set of employees, vendors, and customers. And I knew that. So I kind of knew, Jeff, what I was getting into when I bought the business. It's fun to be your uh, president and, and chief bottle washer and CEO and all the things that go with it. But there's to say I have skin in the game is an understatement. You are the full result of what happens for your business good or bad. And uh, when I bought the business, I would tell you honestly that they, they were losing a fair amount of money per year. Well, after the second year, I inked in the black. I was proud of that. First year, we broke even. And anyway, and, and I have an accountant up in Dubuque that does a great job for me. I live in Dubuque, by the way. So I do the 30-mile commute, 30 miles, 30 minutes. I don't know if you call that speeding, but I don't dilly-dally coming to work. <laughs> so That's a pretty quick turnaround. You've got a company that is losing money, and immediately you break even, then you get into the black. Were you able to, while you were working for the other company, identify strategies or things that, if it were your shop, you could do to make things more efficient? Is that yes. the implementation that, that it took? You had that knowledge and then the stomach right. to buy it and take it forward. You're very, very astute there, Jeff, because first thing I did was 5S the business. Basically, I had to sort through a lot of the old management that said we need this and this should go this way and this process should be this. And we, we basically did a team huddle and said, okay, we're, we're, here's what we're going to do. We're going to be a philosophy of both just-in-time and made-to-order. Okay, and, and, th and that's pretty common in a lot of manufacturing. You don't want to be making components and hoping to sell them. They need to be sold. And then you make everything happen with raw material and labor and shipping. And so that was part that, that really turned us around very quickly is we were able to really shore up our vendors, our suppliers. One of the first things I did was go visit my suppliers and that, they thought that was quite interesting. That seems to me to be almost elementary in terms of customer service. Your company, they are providing products to Correct. end users why wouldn't you want to go make that first-hand connection in terms of understanding yes. the supply chain, but also just to make sure that it's your product 
and they're vending it, you have to yes, make sir. sure they're representing you correctly, right? Exactly right. And it, it adds the human element to the relationship. You know, I inherited a lot of these vendors, uh, Jeff, and it, it really added a, a lot of credence to we're a team. You know, I tell my customers we're, we're, we're their partner in plastics. Well, that's that call that third tier supplier because I'm a tier two. I supply to another supplier for the most part for my major business, Jeff. Mm -hmm. And that would be in the fenestration business, which is the window and door business. Some people don't know fenestration means window and door, but that's Mm -hmm. what it means. Mm -hmm. I have a long history of being in the window and door business. I was a regional salesman many years ago in in the late 80s and all through the 90s, and actually until about 2006. So I had a lot of experience in the window and door business, Eagle Windows and Doors out of Dubuque, which is now owned by Anderson. And ultimately, Jeff, that is the one of the customers that uses the product I mold here. So it's it's amazing. They used to be Anderson's the largest window company in the world. There's nobody that makes more windows and doors. And so something made at your place in Makokata is on virtually all, if not all, of their products. Correct. To keep that relationship going, it, it takes a lot of work every day. They rely on us. Jack Haskin, President and CEO of Jackson Manufacturing in Maquoketa. We spoke via Zoom on Wednesday, October 14. More online at jackson-mfg.com. There's much more to the conversation, including a description of some of the unique products that are made and how they are manufactured. You can hear that by listening to the podcast at totallyiowa.com. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to totallyiowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. You'll also find podcasts of full interviews with folks you hear on this program. You'll find them as IBR Extras and IBR Business Profiles. And we're also found on all the major podcast distributors, including iHeart, Apple, and Google. We welcome your comments. Send them by email to radio at totallyiowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry. Follow ABI on Twitter at IowaABI and online at iowaabi.org.